The scripture reading today is taken from the New Testament book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, which can be found on page 1074 of your Red Pew Bibles. That's John, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, which can be found on page 1074 of the Red Pew Bibles. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. sermon this morning is a little bit too ambitious in that the text is really John 20 and John 21. That's a big chunk. Um, but that's the backdrop for um, the message this morning. We're reading and thinking together out of the book of John, the gospel of John. John is the gospel writer of overflow. When we're with John, the cups are brimming with water and with new wine. 
John is the one who writes the gospel in a way that exceeds our expectations. We never see it coming that way. Everything we need and more is offered to us by John about Jesus. A quick example about that is that, that in some of the other gospels and some of the other places, um, you know, there's a couple of titles that describe Jesus' identity. But in John, there are seven I am statements that all describe who Jesus is. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. And it goes on. John kind of picks up on the Old Testament genius of Isaiah in painting on a really big canvas when it comes to what God is doing in the world. And, and in doing so, by giving us this grand vision, John is blowing our minds. He is expanding our imagination, giving us this vision, and through the vision to a reality that we didn't realize that we needed. After the event of the resurrection, in John, in his classic style of giving us more than we knew that we needed, he takes his time over two chapters to describe Jesus' engagement with his disciples in several different levels and episodes. The story begins with the passage that Elaine read for us, where Jesus meets Mary in her grief. But even then, we see John pushing out the good news. John writes about Mary that she thought he was the gardener, but for John, Jesus actually is the gardener. Going back to the John 1, that in the beginning, in the connection between Jesus, the Word, and all of creation. For John, Jesus is the chef. He is the cook. He is the one who makes the meal. He is the bread of life who makes the meal and fries the fish on the beach. And that's the level at which John is thinking. Always the big canvas, always a big picture, even as he focuses on certain people and their specific need. And so as we make our way through John 20 and John 21, we see Mary is met by Jesus in her sadness. He touches the pain of her loss and gives her something to do. Gives her something to do to participate in what he's doing and what he is all about. He comes into the middle of the fear of the disciples. He engages with his friend Thomas around his doubtfulness. And finally, at the end of the gospel, he engages his outspoken, overcommitted disciple, Peter. And he works with Peter through his being stuck in shame and invites him back without condemnation into the good news of gospel ministry. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep my sheep. Phil did a really nice job, I thought, last Easter Sunday when he reminded us that the resurrection 
is not simply an event, but it's an event that leads to a deeper reality in our lives. The resurrection, in a sense, affirms for us everything that the cross achieves. Everything that Jesus achieves on the cross is affirmed by the power of God raising Jesus from the dead, is what Phil reminded us. And in resurrection, we are offered not just an idea, not an idea, not a concept, not even a metaphor, but we're offered a reality and a way of life. These last couple of passages in John's Gospel, starting with Mary, are what we call in literature kind of thick explanations. They, are, they go deep and wide in order to help us to really, really get the point. And if you just for a minute thought about Jesus' ministry in these last two chapters and then also expanded that to Jesus' instincts in his ministry as described chiefly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what you get is this multi-layered revelation of who God is and where God goes. So if you start with sadness and with fear and with doubt and with shame, and you move and think about hunger and sickness, and people crushed by the demonic, and people struggling and trapped in legalism, and people who have no clue about what it means to be forgiven. Resurrection is not a single event. It's not only an ongoing season in the life of the church, but it's an everyday reality. It is the name that we use to describe our lives day after day as Christians. We live in resurrection. And if resurrection affirms what the cross achieves for us, then the coming of the Holy Spirit makes resurrection reality alive and well within us and between us and beyond us in the world. Think just with me for a second about three layers here. This thick explanation, this multi-layered description that Jesus shows up in the deepest and most significant places of darkness and hurt in human life. Grief, fear, doubt, shame, and it goes on. Think about what that reveals to us about who God is. That the instincts of Jesus as God's only son is to go to those places, is to go to those people, is not to be afraid or not to deny or not to kind of try to get out of by re-explanation or getting people, encouraging people to ignore the reality. It goes right into the middle and engages in a conversation with his full embodied presence in their lives. Resurrection for all time reminds us that God is for life, that God is for light. 
And where are those places in the world today? Where are those places in our church today? Where are those places in your hearts today where you can see signs of resurrection? Where you see those signs, there is the presence of the God who created you. The second piece or layer is that this passage in a kind of a maybe indirect or not way gives us a kind of a definition or at least a description of the church. Peter, who will become identified in the early Christian tradition as kind of the pastor to pastors, the kind of leader of the church, is given his mandate here to feed the sheep. And and within the two chapters, within John's gospel, who are the sheep? Well, surely the first generation, that first instance, that first week and that first month and first year, the sheep are this ragtag group of disciples who need to be cared for, who need to be taught, who need to be nurtured and trained in the reality of their new experience because they are in grief, because they are fearful, because they are filled with doubt. So someone has to feed them. And so with this picture of feed my sheep, I think what we, what we are offered here is a way to think about the church. The church is the community of disciples who have been brought together in community because their fear and their doubt and their shame has in some way somehow been changed to draw them closer to God and draw them closer to one another so that they become the community that lives those resurrection realities, that lives healing, that lives feeding, that lives forgiveness. Resurrection is not a single event, but it's a reality that needs to be nurtured, that needs to be called out in us, that needs to be trained deeply into us as we go forward, and that is who the church is. The church is the community of resurrection. And Jesus offers Peter the opportunity to find his true calling by nurturing this early community of disciples. The third level of revelation here is I think a revelation of our mission. I think at least by implication, if we are followers of Jesus and if we receive his call to go into the world and to share the gospel, then somehow each of us and all of us have an opportunity. A word that's become very important to me in recent months is the word chaplain. The word chaplain, generally speaking, means a pastor in a non-traditional setting. All you have to do is watch the news and watch culture a little more closely to realize that actually there are chaplains planted in all kinds of spheres in our culture that many people think it's a term that's kind of a little bit archaic and going out of of style and some days I actually think that's true myself. But my wife who works, you know, in a hospital where chaplains are key 
pieces of the interprofessional team that she works with every day has reminded me over the last several years that chaplains, you will find chaplains in places where people have difficult topics and issues and decisions and where deep questions are being asked. It was the chaplain from the fire department who led the memorial of the tragedy in our city in North York on Young Street a year ago. And if you think down through it, you see that there are chaplains with the police department. There's chaplains are part and part of the military, of hospitals, of seniors' homes, of universities, airports, government bodies, kings and queens, sports teams, the business community, corporate reality, it, it goes on. And what Jesus is modeling is this resurrection presence. The resurrection not as an event, but the resurrection is a reality that God is present and working.